0: Welcome to In Your Brain. I'm a neuroscience student at the University of Florida, and I'm super curious about everything having to do with the brain. Join me to discover what happens in your brain. In this episode, we'll discuss the gut-brain axis. What does gut microbiome mean, and how does it affect brain health? We have an expert guest to help us out.
1: My name is Malou Gamis Tanzi. I'm a professor of neuroscience and neurology here at the University of Florida College of Medicine. And I'm also a co-director of the Center for Translational Research in Neurodegenerative Disease.
0: She's here to help us explore the relationship between our gastrointestinal tract and our brain, which is somewhat of a new concept since for a long time, neuroscientists believed the brain was immune to anything in the blood or any system outside of it. This is because our brains are protected by what is called the blood-brain barrier, which is exactly what it sounds like. A semi-permeable layer that separates the brain from the rest of the body, and it's meant to protect the brain from toxins and harmful compounds in the body. However, it turns out it's more like a gate rather than a barrier. As more information becomes available, scientists now understand the importance of a bidirectional communication system between the gut and the brain. Our digestive system has many trillions of microorganisms that carry genetic material, including bacteria, fungi, and viruses, and all these make up our gut microbiome. The composition of our microbiome is given to us at birth, but it can change throughout our lifetime with diet and lifestyle choices.
1: What we know about bacteria is um, just sort of the, the
0: tip of the iceberg. Our knowledge may still be very limited, but we know for sure there are certain bacteria we need to have in order to get nutrients from our food. When the necessary bacteria, viruses, and fungi get out of balance, the risk for pathology increases. The brain is physically connected to the gut via what is called the vagus nerve, but there are also compounds and metabolites in our blood circulation that connect the brain to peripheral organs, including the gut. But how do we know for sure that our gut health affects our brain health? One way to study the role of bacteria in the gut is to completely eliminate them from the system and see what happens. Scientists can remove the microbiome from mice, which are called germ-free mice, to study how the lack of microbes can affect the organism. Unsurprisingly, these germ-free mice do not show typical brain development and have disruption in neural communication pathways, as well as abnormal behaviors.
1: And what we find is that those mice don't develop normally, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have normal brains. They have uh, deficient behaviors. They can be uh, predisposed to many different things. They don't respond to stress as well. They don't adjust as well. And so that leads us to conclude that the bacteria in your gut is critical for normal development of a lot of different brain functions and
0: behaviors. There are many limitations to these types of studies, which is why more studies are needed with more realistic and relevant ways of altering an organism's microbiome. For example, using things like antibiotics. Other really cool studies are using fecal matter to understand how the microbiome can affect our mental health. By doing fecal transplants, yes, that means transferring poop from one organism to another. Scientists have found that anxiety and depression traits can be passed down through fecal microbiome as well as healing metabolites. In fact, stool transplants are currently used in humans as therapeutics for things like infections, Parkinson's, and more.
1: There are people having them for potentially other things, like I know some Parkinson's patients have undergone some of those. I know there are people packaging stool in capsules, so you don't have to have the transplant. You can just take that, kind of like a probiotic.
0: Or like a poop pill. Before this happens, though, we need to identify the metabolites that may pass down undesirable traits like anxiety or depression during a fecal matter transplant.
1: But in the fecal microbiome, we don't know a lot of what we're also transferring. And so I think it would be in our best interest to transfer a more defined therapeutic than a a less defined one. It's
0: an exciting time for the field. I was still a bit unsure of what was meant by a healthy gut microbiome. So I asked Dr. Tansy.
1: There's a lot of studies that are just looking at microbiome period and, you know, what what would constitute a healthy microbiome. And and I think a healthy microbiome would potentially allow you to have, you know, not a leaky gut, right, to make sure that you have, um, that you are regular, that you're not constipated, that you don't have a leaky gut, that you don't have, you know, diarrhea, or any, anything that's GI-related.
0: Leaky guts are not good because they lead to chronic inflammation, which in Dr. Tansy's lab and many others is believed to be a key risk factor for neurodegeneration later in life. I started to wonder how much does my diet actually affect my brain health. Turns out it really does. For example... A ketogenic diet high in fat and low on carbs has been found to help children with epilepsy have less seizures. Other studies using MRI scans show how a certain type of diet, which leads to an altered microbiome, can change the activity patterns in our brain. So scientists are definitely seeing trends between different types of diets and brain health. Okay, so what diet is best?
1: What is interesting is that when you look at diet and diet of people who have, say, a high fat, high fructose diet, it's clear that their microbiomes are changed and they are associated more with a leaky gut. Okay, and this has been done also in animal models. The idea is that you want to have a diet just for good brain health that's high in vegetables and fruits. And grains and low in you know processed foods, low in sugar, um, and sort of the Mediterranean diet style thing comes to mind, right? Um, and the other critical thing is the the activity, the physical activity, the exercise, and the sleep. And those three things, I think, are the best ones to uh, emphasize as a natural sort of lifestyle dependent uh, choice that you can make to modify um, your risk
0: factors. So diet, physical activity, and sleep. These are three things we can control that will lead to better brain health.
1: Think about all the education about heart health and cancer prevention, right? Exercise, eat well, whatever. It turns out that those are the same things that we need to do for good brain health. And so it's not a big surprise because everything is connected. I think the motivation is to do things and um, live in certain ways that will promote overall good brain health and a healthier, um, longer life, but not lifespan, more like health span. The years that you are alive, healthy, Mm -hmm. not, you know, with chronic conditions.
0: I kept thinking about how our gut microbiome is given to us at birth. So I was curious as to how much the mother's diet and lifestyle influence the baby's health?
1: That's a great question. And you know, it hasn't really been looked at that much. People need to make that connection because the mother's health um, and the mother's diet is going to impact that not just through the bloodstream, but also during birth. You know, how does the mom's diet affect her vaginal microbiome? Because it is the vaginal microbiome that's going to confer the first uh,
0: gut microbiome to the fetus. That's good to know. Going back to the idea that inflammation may lead to degeneration, there's a theory in the field called the BRAC hypothesis which suggests in some cases Parkinson's disease may start in the body first and then travel to the brain. There can be triggers from the gut that contribute to the process of protein misfolding that occurs in Parkinson's, particularly in environments of inflammation. So, gut inflammation throughout the years may be the fuel for protein misfolding, which is thought to transfer from the enteric system to the nervous system. This may take decades or may not even happen at all in some people. The Tansy lab at UF studies this link between the gut microbiome and neurodegeneration, specifically under what conditions does protein misfolding occur and where can you detect it.
1: So we have a mouse that's expressing human snooping in the entire endocrine cells, and we want to know under what conditions does it misbehave, right? And we want to know, does it ever um, respond to anything that could stop that process? And so that's one question. The other question is that maybe it never happens in the gut. Maybe it always just starts in the brain. But that chronic inflammation in your bloodstream from whatever can still be sensed in the brain, and so does that peripheral inflammation that becomes neuroinflammation through a leaky BBB, right, um, because circulating cytokines will do that, does that trigger the misfolding in the brain? So forget about the brac hypothesis. If you don't believe it or you disprove it and it's not starting in the periphery, what about the peripheral inflammation? Does it have an effect on... Brain in. And so that's a separate question that, that's also, you know, being addressed by my lab so that we understand if the chronic inflammatory diseases that we have so endemic in our population are those that contribute to that.
0: It makes sense why diseases like obesity and diabetes are associated with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, and even depression has been linked to inflammation.
1: Depression is another incredibly good example. My colleague, Andy Miller at at Emory has done some really beautiful work showing that depression is linked to inflammation, you know, certainly through the gut microbiome, you can modify, you know, uh, your diet and potentially the sickness behavior that leads to depression, right? And who doesn't want to feel better and, you know, have a reason to see beyond tomorrow. So I think that the benefits of focusing on, you know, good uh, gut health are multiple, not just to prevent and delay the onset of age-related neurodegenerative disease, but also, you know, good um, mental health.
0: I asked Dr. Tanzi what excited her the most about the field right now.
1: That's what I'm most excited about. I'm excited that, you know, the team is, is working as a team, I'd like to say that that science is a team sport, Um, and so all the projects that we have, I think, are incredibly exciting, and they're interrelated. So it's difficult for me to pick one, but I think the most exciting thing in terms of the field is that it's finally recognized the importance of the immune system for brain health and the importance of inflammation in brain health, which is something that 20 years ago when I started my lab, uh, nobody ever heard of, right? They're like, inflammation? What? What?" So that's a win. That to me, you know, means that we've had some impact on the field and we hope that more people uh, get excited about it and and join join the bandwagon.
0: So the main takeaway here is that inflammation in our gut is our enemy and we need to prioritize a proper diet to have healthy guts and healthy brains. I hope you enjoyed this episode and learned something new. Check back in two weeks for a new episode. Thanks for listening.